The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! You're my kid. You're my kid. You gotta finish them. You gotta finish but, all the peas. Okay? But Daddy Liberty. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I I don't think I can finish them. I don't them care. All. I found you on the streets. I'm gonna feed you these peas. You're gonna eat the peas. You're my kid. I love ya. But you're gonna eat all the peas. Daddy Liberty, if I may. You may not, but um. sure. <laughs> It'd be great. If you could just show me that wonderful Netflix documentary on Morse code again, my brain is just a sponge, and I promise I won't use it to contact people from the outside world to help me. Look, after the first time when you tried that, then I realized maybe we shouldn't watch the Netflix documentary series so much. My grasp on reality isn't too strong here, and you're my son. So, what I want you to do is finish your piece, stop being a goober, you finish your piece. <laughs> okay, all right. Oh, you finished. You finished with the piece. Oh, really? <laughs> really? You finished with all these peas? All right. Well, we're on to course number two then, all right? <laughs> daddy. The- Can I, how many times have I told you, don't call me daddy? It freaks me out. It's very weird. I don't like it but very daddy, much. But Papa Liberty. That's better. Call- okay. I'm too full for course number two. The Statue of Liberty is green. These peas are green. I am watching you eat them so we can get on to course number two. Oh, somebody's at the door. <laughs> Who is it? Oh, no, he's Morse coding again. I told you this Netflix documentary series. My son. Help me. You're my kid. Help. You're my kid. Help me. You're the star of my life. Course two. My star. <laughs> Then we're going to go to church. We'll look at the tabernacle together, all right? All right. Of all the of all the of all the podcasts and all the bars and all the countries on this planet, you had to walk into mine. That's, Kids watching too quote, much right? Netflix over here, all right? 
Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. I'm calling it. And what I want you all to know about this skit is to please forget about it. <laughs> it's bad. It's very bad. We're a Jack White history program, and I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky, sometimes New Yorker Johnny Liberty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My favorite character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Who my unborn child has an affinity for. <laughs> she, she really, she loves it. Yeah, no, it's... Real great. We're, we're a Jack White history program, if you couldn't guess, where we talk about Jack White things and Third Man Records stuff, and we go over films and TV and movies and bands and assorted people in the Detroit universe. And Paul, oh, we got a special one today. Oh, it's so special. Oh, it's just the most special. After Jack White finished up his peas, because he's my son, he's my kid, you see, he finished yeah. up his goober and the peas and mm-hmm. starred in a... Another band that we're going to be going over, Paul, called Two Star yeah. Tabernacle. Two Star Tabernacle. I've been dying to know more about this group. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Two Star Tabernacle was a band that Jack White was part of during sort of that mid to late 90s period where he was a member of a few different groups. And there was a release, I know, in the vault that, that we've all heard. And boy, uh, I've heard a lot about this group and I just don't know a lot about it really. Mm. And I'm uh, looking forward to hearing more about it, James. Well, I'd correct you if you were wrong, but you're 100% right, Paul. Okay. So we are going to be going over this band Jack was in the mid to late 90s. Uh, basically what Paul said. That's exactly what they are. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, uh, That's the one. we'll get into some nitty gritty here. Nailed it. So it'll be fun. It'll be a good time. Paul, do we have anything that I should stop doing? Oh, the prompts. <laughs> I'm full of prompt and circumstance tonight. All right, James, uh, yeah, there might be something that somebody might want to start telling. Oh, so I'll stop doing, and they'll start telling, and it's every single one's got a story story to tell. Every single one's got a story to tell. Everyone knows about it. From the Queen of England to the Hounds of Hell. James, every single one's got a story to tell. It's a portion of the program where you, the listener, write in and tell us about a Jack White experience you had in the wild, out there in the world. Mm. And this one's even more so appropriate and apropos, you might say, because at Dylan Ryan Wild mm-hmm. wrote in to tell us about a Jack White show he saw recently in Columbus. Oh, that their city in Ohio that I know about. Yeah, the City of Lights. The City of Love? The Day of the Dead. The Bolsa de Muerte. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> the bag of death. <laughs> yeah, Dylan wrote in to tell us about seeing a show of Jack White in Columbus, and it's really cool here. He says, I was one of the ten to win early entry from the vault, so that's pretty cool, and one of the three out of those ten to win the notebook thing Ooh. to write down his set list, and he was literally in the front row, and he says that the show was incredible. Jack played 25 songs and played drums for Ball and Biscuit, which I've seen photos of on Instagram, which I'm super happy about because I'm happy he's... He's taken a couple pages from Margot's book, James, on this tour and album. Firstly, in the McCrary Sisters, which first sort of popped into my orbit, I know, on Margot's second album, All American Made. But also, Margot has been sitting down at the drum kit for a couple tracks on this this year tour lately, and Jack has been doing the same thing. 
Mm, yeah. Did you see that when you saw him the second time? Yes, he played Trash Tongue Talker. Ah, so that apparently while holding the drumsticks in each hand, he would also play guitar, which mm. is pretty cool. Dylan goes on to say he was definitely into the crowd because he saw Jack at X-Fest in Pittsburgh and could tell that the crowd was sort of lame and he wasn't feeling it, which I know you and I are super aware of yes. sometimes when we're seeing Jack White live. And then he's saying last night in Cleveland, it was even better, and he played 28 songs. Uh, the crowd was insane. He's saying there was a bunch of psychos around him, but uh, but Jack apparently fed off of that and was moving around and soloing nonstop. And he apparently said something to the effect of, Elvis has Heartbreak Hotel, I think I have this one, Hotel Yorba, and then played that, and then sang a verse from Heartbreak Hotel in the middle of it, whoa. which is also very cool. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then during one part of Steady As She Goes solos, he was doing some finger tapping, and then he was like, didn't think I could do that, huh? And then he did some more crazy finger tapping and was like, I don't even know what these notes are, and I don't care. <laughs> I don't even know what music is, and I'm playing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So that's really cool. Uh, Dylan, thank you for, for writing in to tell us about that. I don't if even know who seen... this guy is, and he's my son. Very good. So anyway, thank you, Dylan. And that's been Every Single One's Got a Story to Tell. Every Single One. All right, James, I'm ready to hear about Two Star Tabernacle. Yeah, let's do it. Let's shoot for the stars. Uh-huh. Two of them, specifically. Yeah, Aquarius and the Star of the Dead. Yeah, Beetlejuice. That, that works <laughs> out pretty he, good. Yeah, yeah, he would sort of be the Star of the Dead, yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. This is all gold. This is good. All right, Paul, let's get started. So, real quick, are you familiar with who is in the band Two Star Tabernacle? Okay, so I know... Uh, Jack White, obviously, and Dan John Miller, yes. I I know, is the guy who founded Goober and the Peas, and he was also Jack's manager for a time, and he's also Arthur Dottweiler, mm. Jack's uncle character. But So anyways, we're talking about exercise, we're talking about rest, and we're talking about nutrition. Jack, let's talk about vocal cords. Let's talk about doing some exercises, some breathing exercises. Arthur, I to- every time you bring that up, I tell you that... If I force myself to do something in particular, such as singing well, I'm going to fail at it. You know I'm, I fail at everything I try to do well. If I just leave it the way it's going to be, leave it. And I know that they were very close for a while. So yes, uh, Jack White and Dan John Miller make up the, the, the core of Two Star Tabernacle. The other members are Dan's wife, Tracy May Miller, and drummer Damien Lang. Ah. All these folks are uh, well-known in the Detroit. Yeah, yeah. established in the D- Detroit music scene. I hate saying scene, but I keep doing it. Eh, let's lean into it. Sure. Yeah. It's 1997, and Jack White and, uh. and Dan Miller are in the band Goober and the Peas. Uh-huh, and Jack was the drummer in this band. Mm-hmm. And he was the second drummer. Yeah, they, they cycle through a couple characters, but it's an established band. They're, they've been around for a number of years, and people actually know who they are to an extent. They're well-known in, in, in town. Uh, yeah. Dan has a persona. He's got this cowboy shtick going on where he, you know, has hay bales and stuff like that. Yeah, they play cowpunk. Yeah. I think that's what they call it, yeah. Or psycho, psycho Billy is what it evolved into, I think, is what is the sure. what the kids are saying. Yeah. yeah. 
I guess we'll always be neighbors, cause neither one of us will move. We'll always be neighbors, cause we both got something to prove. Mm-hmm. When you come home for sugar, I ain't got nothing for you. You invite me for coffee and serve me a warm brew. When you come wanting a lawnmower, turn it with no gas. So when you want my hip flippers, I shove them up your ass. Yes, we'll always be neighbors, cause neither one of us will He has this persona that he has. I found a a fun quote from Ben Blackwell. Dan is one of the best talkers you'll ever meet. He could talk his way into a nun's pants, and he's not slimy either, but genuine. (laughs) All right. All right. So in 1997, Cooper and the Peas hits its zenith. Zenith the right word? Sure. I don't know. It's a brand of television. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And it disbands. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's at the peak of its... And then it just... Yeah. Uh, So Goober and the Peas came to an end. To quote Dan Miller, Goober came to an end, which is sad but good, because after touring a lot in Europe and the United States and selling out a thousand seat places, it wasn't inspiring anymore. So I worked at an impound lot for cars, and I was a substitute teacher for a while. Whoa. He does strike me a little bit as a substitute teacher. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. It's a quote, Greg Bass. You could tell by the name that he used his walk. You could tell by the name that Goober were kind of hokey, but they could also be humorous and beautiful. Something people don't realize about Detroit is that there are no brand new bands out here. All these bands have a history. They have several albums worth of material and years of playing live. Goober became two-star Tabernacle, who threw up Blanche in the White Stripes. Whenever a new record comes out, it seems like there's a song on it I've been listening to for five years. So there's material out there. Goober is ending. Mm. Miller says, it's weird. One thing about Goober and the Peas, I think because we ended the band when we were doing great, touring all over the world and all that, people were like, Mm. why would you break up? Well, it's because it wasn't inspiring anymore, and you don't want it to get pitiful. That's via Metro Times. Oh, oh my. Yeah, so Miller has this thing where he's like, I don't want to become a shtick. Like, he has this shtick, and he's like, nah, this is getting to be hokey, so they call it quits. He's like Herman the German if if Herman was conscious of what he appears like mm. to others. if herman was conscious in general i feel like he's just constantly <laughs> yeah. unconscious yeah the old-timey german helmet with the needle on the top actually in verses they've been weekend at bernie'sing him for, for generations a decade. Yeah, millennia yeah even. for generations <laughs> yeah so he's trying to separate himself from his goober ways mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah again quoting miller Looking back on that, even the first few shows with Two Star Tabernacle, people would be yelling out requests, and I'd have to say, sorry, you know, we're just doing a new band. You gotta start fresh. So people are like, they want this Goober Man. <laughs> they want it. <laughs> the people are demanding it. It's like if Jack White had the White Stripes, which he did, and he suddenly stopped yeah. doing that, and people kept shouting, Seven Nation Army! Seven yeah. Nation Army! Well, you're describing exactly what happened on the first Tours tour? Okay. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he says, I think when goober ended i wasn't really thinking about getting a band together but i had it in my head a few months later that i wanted to get this noisy melodic band like gallon drunk together he's basically off for a few months substitute mm. teaching working at an impound lot <laughs> doing odd jobs and yeah. he suddenly he's like look i have this musical itch that i've got to scratch mm-hmm. and who better to do it with than my good buddy 
Jack White. Now, what year is this? This is 1997. So he is Jack White, I guess, at that time. Yes. Here's his thought process into getting this band together with Jack. And this is to quote from the book, Fell in Love with a Band, quoting Dan. And then I thought, well, who would I do that with? Tom Hendrickson, who I had always written songs with and Goober. He was living in Nashville at the time. So I was starting writing songs by myself. I didn't know who else I would get in the band, but I kept in touch with Jack, and we started working on Two Star Stuff. And Jack was uh, Jack was married to Meg at this point because they were married in September 96, mm-hmm. both at 21. I guess Jack would have joined Goober on or around either meeting Meg or marrying Meg sort of time frame, but Meg was in the picture, mm-hmm. but they weren't a band yet, and they wouldn't be until 1997, which was that Bastille Day. On 90, in 97. So this is all happening right around the time Jack is getting it in his head that he and Meg may be turning their marriage into possibly an act. Not turning their marriage into an act, but maybe they may be doing music together on stage. It looks like he joined Goober in 1993. Goober and the Peas seeking a new drummer. Summer 1993 when Jack took the leap. Yeah, he joined in 1993. Wasn't that like 93 to 95 or something like that was the time frame he was in Goober? 95 is when they released the album where Jack Gillis appears. Yeah, and he's that's the only one he's on. Yeah, the Jet yeah. Age genius of Goober and the Peas. Anyway, it's all swirling. How about that? Yeah. So it's swirling, and Dan and Jack have this idea to create this band. So who better to get than Dan's wife, Tracy May Miller, on bass, and... Damien Lang from Goober and who will later be a part of the Detroit Cobras on drums to to create this band called Two Star Tabernacle. Oh, okay. They got a they got a genuine Detroit Cobra on the drums. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The band was heavily inspired by Gun Club. I'm going down the river sadness. I'm going down the river And Hank Williams material, so still has that kind of country edge. Powder, you act proud and I'll act prouder. You sing loud and I'll sing louder. Tonight we're setting the woods on fire. You're my gal and I'm your feller. Dress up in your frock of yeller. I'll look swell, but you look sweller. Setting the woods on fire. We're taking all the honky tonks. Uh, Ben Blackwell describes it as, It was like country music with a punk nihilist edge. It sounded creepy, and it didn't fit in with anything else. It was definitely oddball in true Detroit fashion. The only release they ever did was a single with Andre Williams of two cover songs. Huh. Uh, Huh. By the way, I'm sorry, I just did some math. mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) uh, Jack and Meg met when they were both seniors in high school. Mm. Which would have been 92, 93. Which would have been 92, 93. So we're talking... Let's let's give it the extra year. Let's call it ninety three. Mm. So they met right around the time Jack joined Goober. Yeah, that's far out. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, yeah, that some of that early stuff is still really fuzzy for me. That that early to mid nineties region is still kind of you know a little nebulous. Well, we'll we'll do we'll do a whole episode on Goober and the Peas. I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway, continue. 
So uh, even Dan thought the band was odd. He said Two Star Tabernacle was a misfit band. From what people tell me, they were either really great or really pitiful, uh, which he said <laughs> he was trying to avoid. He said I was I was writing droney country ish songs, and Jack was coming in with songs that were phenomenal, faster, and more energetic. It was a weird mix. I sang half, and he sang half, and neither of us had sung harmonies before. We would do old gospel numbers. Just a closer walk with thee. We recorded it in Jack's basement and realized how hard it was to do old gospel songs. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, you know, Jack uh, was trying out some songs that he would turn into, you know, big deals mm-hmm. later on. I mean, I know uh, he was also playing with the bricks around this time and the, that go stuff is sort of in there. But, you know, songs like uh, Who's to Say and Hotel Yorba and, and Now Mary, I know you're going to get to all that, yeah. but, you know, these are songs that were in that he wrote early because he's playing them with two star and he's playing stripe songs with the bricks and stuff like that too so. well i'm pretty sure who's to say is a dan miller joint but oh is it really yeah because it turns into a blanche song later on whoa i'm sorry i'm getting ahead of you that's that's okay that's, well but yeah the this time is is really frantic for him because he's like you said he's he's playing with the go around this time he's playing with this band two-star tabernacle he's playing his own solo thing ish uh, occasionally with brendan uh on stage uh, called the bricks right. and uh he is also starting up the white stripes around this time so he's running the, i i don't have the quote but there's there were times where he would finish up practice with one band then drive halfway across town to play with another band uh for a concert that night and then open for that yeah. concert too with another band <laughs> like it's just it's craziness <laughs> That, now, if that sounds familiar to our listeners out there, that's because Jack did the exact same thing during the Blunderbuss rehearsals, where he was rehearsing with the male band in one studio and then racing over re- rehearsing with the female mm-hmm. band in the other one, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. so on and so forth. So sounds like these habits he got into early in his life really carried through for a while. Mm. The White Stripes was not the first band that Jack would be in where a member was beginning to learn an instrument uh tracy may miller was pretty new to playing bass in this band and was basically learning on the go how to do it she knew what music she liked but she she wasn't uh proficient in in playing just yet she would be soon but now do you think that that inspired jack oh it may have and we know from dan that jack was the, uh, a super encouraging force to her because yeah. Miller explains her only experience was knowing what music she liked listening to. I always remember Jack saying to her when she had this real basic bass line, real basic bass line, Paul. <laughs> He's like, God, that's great. I don't think I'd be able to ca- uh, be able to play as consistently as you play because I would just get bored and try to change it, and that's not good for a bass player to have that attention deficit disorder. Wow. Somebody's <laughs> absorbing what he likes. <laughs> and he knows Meg at this point, so maybe he's like, hey, Meg. Oh, wow. Tracy May's doing this thing where she's just learning as she goes. Maybe? Learning as she goes. 
Wow. So, yeah, I, maybe there's some inspiration being taken here. I'm not sure. Speculation. And not a not a new thing for music. Famously, Stuart Sutcliffe could not play bass Yeah. Uh, in the Beatles when he was a member of that band, although I suppose he didn't continue on and no. become a rock star. Um, and I would say Tracy became quite proficient at playing, as opposed to Stu, who just was bad. And dropped it, yeah. yeah. yeah no, he was bad <laughs> at it. So the, the band is playing uh, in the Detroit area quite a bit at this time, just local shows. Their first show was in December of 1997 at St. Andrew Hall during a legal defense fundraiser for a local magazine called Orbit, to which Dan was an occasional contributor to. Wow. So wait, so their first show took place after the White Stripes' first show? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So at this point, the, the Stripes are, are off and going. I, I don't even know anymore. Okay, <laughs> go on. <laughs> in, uh, in 1998, they play their famous Gold Dollar show on January 16th, 1998. Uh, the show that mm-hmm. was later released in Third Man Records Vault 27 in 2016. At this show, they played a bunch of songs such as Who's to Say, which Jack would later cover but becomes a Blanche song. some of the greenhorns in Blanche? Yes, and we'll get into Blanche towards the end uh, a little bit, but they also played uh, Zigzag Springs, a song called Itchy, which is a pretty neat Jack White number that was only released officially in that vault, so it was cool to hear uh, that version there. All right, Jackson White's going to sing this song. You'll recognize yeah. that one. Uh-huh. Uh, Garbage Picker, which would become a Blanche song later on. Now Mary, which was a White Stripes yeah. tune. Which Jack also played with the Bricks. Heavens to Betsy, Redhead, Jesus and Tequila, So Long Cruel World, and a cover of 16 Tons. Some people say a man is made out of mud. 
a poor man's made out of muscle and blood, muscle and blood, and skin and bone, a mind that's weak, and a back that's strong, you load 16 tons, what do you get? Do we know what was Redhead? A, I mean, I assume that's a Jack one. I don't think so. I think that's a Dan Miller one. They had similar taste. Yeah, Blanche. Blanche song. During this vault release, they included this set from the Gold Dollar uh, via Rolling Stone when they released it. White's 1998 vocals are howling and untethered in a way that makes it easy to trace his progression through bands like the Stripes, Tours, Dead Weather, and solo stuff. Yeah, I'll say. Via ABC News Radio, at the beginning of this track, the track being itchy, White is introduced as Jackson White before <laughs> before the rest of Two Star Tabernacle joins in. The song is very reminiscent of White's early material with the White Stripes. You could see where these two creative minds are going. Dan Miller right, his, has his songs that are going in a certain direction. Jack has his songs which are going in a more stripesy direction, I would say. Um, yeah. But the band is kind of without focus because of this there's kind of a dichotomy mm. going on between the two of them dan says he had written some songs and i had written some songs mine were slower traditional country at that point with some gallon drunkish songs and i think those were too country for what he was feeling because a lot of his songs were these faster things so we'd rehearse them together and they all sounded kind of good together two star was always going in a million different directions and we were never able to pick just one says jack white they're really pushing and pulling each other. Country, uh, Stooges, punk rock kind of vibe going on. Yeah. They're fighting. I mean, Jack's got a country streak in him too, but I think he relates more to less like traditional kind of country, the cowpunk sort of ideal, and leans more toward bluesier stuff and mm. soulful yeah. kind of country. Is that like... Who like who are his main country guy people? Loretta Lynn, is, Dolly Parton, yeah, uh, Dolly, yeah. It's who he kind of looks to. I mean, Elvis. You can argue, his yeah, country, to a but, degree, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's a there's a divergence there. Yeah, I think, but some overlap. Enough overlap to make two bands with Dan John Miller make sense. Yeah, that's true. But it can sometimes clash on stage. Miller says, with Two Star at the time, both Jack and I were really into Cab Calloway, and we knew we wanted to do something with an entertainment aspect. That's come across mm. in the White Stripes, too, but you can't just entertain for entertainment's sake. It's got to fit the music, and it's got to make sense. And I don't, yeah. I don't know if it ever did with Two Star Tabernacle. Much like Goober and the Peas had the cowpunk aesthetic, this, this kind of didn't have anything to lean on yet. I guess we just didn't get enough, you know, for for anything to resonate. You know, we get looks like one release on Bloodshot and and then some Vault stuff, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was their. Well, let's get into that release, shall we? Yeah. Well, let's do it. Yeah. Nineteen ninety eight was their only official release before Third Man would release some stuff. Two Star Tabernacle was playing a show with the Demolition Doll Rods at the Magic Stick. Hey. Yeah, uh, we know the Demolition Doll Rods were early White Stripes supporters. Yes, indeed, including Dan Croa. And that, who yeah, a, Dan Croa. And Andre Williams, a R&B slash Motown superstar, let's call him, because he has written quite a number of famous songs and has lent, lent his hand uh, to quite a bit of, of Motown history. Mm-hmm. But we'll get into Andre in 
a later episode. He deserves his own episode, really. Yeah. He was making a record with Mick Collins and Dan Croa of the Dirt Bombs and Demolition Doll Rods. So he had showed up to the Magic Stick to watch, and he showed up during Two Star Tabernacle's sound check. And he came up to Dan Miller, to quote Dan, he says, he came up to us and said, you know, I like country music too. We should do a record together. <laughs> so they did. They did a, a seven-inch single, which they recorded in Jack's basement. Another common thing. Yeah, at this time especially. So he's doing White Stripes and two-star stuff in and out, in and out, I guess, in this in this house that he had uh, recently yeah. bought. I think it's 1203 Ferdinand. Uh, that I don't know. Yeah, 1203 Ferdinand. Mm. So it's two-star tabernacle featuring Andre Williams, two tracks on it. Side A would be Ramblin' Man, written by Hank Williams. Then I heard it straight home and back. And if I didn't go, I believe I'd blow my stack. But I love you, baby. White Mama and Jet Black Daddy, written by Andre Williams, and had Dan Croa on guitar, which is pretty cool. Now, I don't know who was wrong or right, I don't want to cast no blame, but did Willie Lee Jones have to be my name? I don't know. Mama is a phrase I've heard him utter in concert in replacement for other songs. He said Lily White in his version of Black Jack Davy. Yeah. I know that. That's true. Yep. Um, There's that too. Yeah. Lily White. But I feel hand. like he, that's that, that's like a, yeah, Lily White hand. I think that's a, a phrase he, he goes to. Yeah. I mean, it's powerful imagery for him with the stripes because, you know, white is one of the three colors and he is also Jack White and Meg White, and he is also as pale as can be. So right. it makes sense uh, to, to include it in some of his musical imagery. Uh, to quote Dan, we met down at Jack's house and we did three songs. Uh, three, mind you. And you will get a kick out of this. One of them was The Big Three Killed My Baby. Whoa. Um, <laughs> that Jack wrote for Andre Williams. Really? Wanting something controversial, wow. he wrote Big Three Killed My Baby. What? He wanted to write a controversial song and gave him that. What? So we'll get into that. We'll get into that in a minute. So put a pin in that. Okay. Okay. So because of that, Andre Andre said he'd give us a gift. The song Lily White Mama and Jet Black Daddy. So we worked that out. We did Ramblin' Man. I'm not sure Andre was as familiar with the song as he led us to believe. I remember telling him that each time we, there was a key change, he needed to change the lyric. He said, I see what you're saying. It's like when you're in jail, you can go anywhere you want in jail, but you're still in jail. 
Uh-huh. So, okay. interesting take from Andre Williams on music, I guess. <laughs> uh, so back to the Big Three Killed My Baby. This song would not be released, this version would not be released until 2011 in Vault 9 from Third Man Records. They released a single, which is this song featuring Andre Williams. Take safety four. Downsized the easy way to decrease the payday, but I'm not big enough to change your play. But they better look out, El Nino's coming their way. To quote Dan Miller, Jack wrote the song The Big Three Killed My Baby for Andre, and I just remember him trying to describe it to Damien Lang. He had the driving guitar part, and I had a complimentary part that sounded cool, and we'd play it, and Jack was like, it sounded great, but it's not what I imagined it would sound like. (laughs) He was trying to get Damien to play something way simpler, but that wasn't Damien's instinct. But Jack just wanted everything stripped down with that Gorys feeling. Wow. And he says, when, they, when we recorded it with Andre, it was so funny because he was just like, yeah, it sounds good, but let's get a little Spanish beginning to it. He had this th- intro thing where he said, they downsized it the easy way. <laughs> and then it would build up into the song. Wow, that is far out. The single that they released was uh, in 2011. Now, it does track, though, because I, I had been wondering why Big Three Killed My Baby didn't pop up on any other group performance that early in fact not a lot of stuff on the first stripes album does pop up on those early group performances it seems that that in those late 90s mid to late 90s years jack was writing a lot and those songs mostly pop up on later albums like it seems like he was mining stuff when once you get to white blood cells it's really him mining that early 90s stuff but you don't really hear Two Star or The Bricks or anything like that doing stuff like Big Three Kill My Baby. You just don't. The first time it pops up in Jack's repertoire is 99 for the first album. So it does explain a number of things about that track and why he wasn't playing it if he, it was intended for somebody else. But that's wild. Yeah, totally. I, and I, I I never found anything about that in my research during that first episode about <laughs> Big Three. He never mentions Andre Williams once. In any time talking about that song. Yeah, I it had shocked me because I, I thought, like, 
I would have remembered this from the episode that you did for the first album, and I didn't I didn't remember it at all. So reading this, I was like, yeah. whoa, my God. It didn't come up in my research at all. I mean, that's that was our very first episode, but I just, yeah, but, it didn't uh, pop up. Uh, so the Big Three single release that they released in 2011, the A-side was Big Three Killed My Baby with Two Star and Andre Williams, and the B-side was Ramblin' Man again, uh, probably a, another mm-hmm. version of Ramblin' Man. Uh, the Matrix runout had some interesting Spanish uh, that I I can't quite translate. It says "Aole tre cantu si you did called la Nord pole ice caps una mia ego." The other one has Excellent has job, the James. word "puta" on it. Uh, <laughs> it's bizarre. Back to the Bloodshot record, the seven inch with Ramblin' Man and Lily White Mama and Jet Black Daddy. So on bass and backing vocals was Tracy May Miller. Drums was Damien Lang. Guitar and vocals was Dan Miller. Credited as Dan Buell Miller. Uh, mixed by Dave Feeney. His name will be will occasionally pops up yeah. here and there. Photography for the cover of that album by Jack White. Oh, And yeah. piano, resonator, guitar, which is also called a dobro, and backing vocals uh, was Jack White. Producer was Dan Croa, recorded by Jeff Meyer. Vocals were Andre Williams, originally released 500 white vinyl, and then later on, a few years later, 500 on black vinyl. And a weird thing with it is that the A side is labeled B on the center labels, and, and the B side is labeled A on the center labels. Uh, I'd like to do a mini stop breaking down in the middle of this, because this, sure. this was bo- bothering me, and I think I said it in error a couple times. I don't think Dan Croa was ever in the Dirt Bombs. I think we're conflating the Dirt Bombs and the Gories because Dan Croa was for sure one of the three members of the Gories, and then he went on, I think, after that, mostly to Demolition Doll Rods, and he Mm. might have done one of those other groups with him. But I just wanted to correct that really quickly here Mm. um, because I don't think he was ever a dirt bomb. And I think we actually said that on an older episode as well, interjecting there. No, that's fine. I thought he played with them. It's because the McCollins connection, mm, I think. Maybe, yeah. All right, yeah. Cool. Well, will you stop a brickin' down? Uh, well, if you want to go over Bloodshot, we can do that real quick. Yeah, Bloodshot Records. So that's the one that released the uh, the two-star extended single. But Bloodshot was uh, an independent record label based out of Chicago, founded by somebody named Nan Warshaw, Rob Miller, and Eric Babcock. Eric Babcock is ringing a bell. Paul's got that Babcock bell ringing. It's ring. Oh, why is it ringing a bell? All I'm getting is a lethal weapon. Oh, when that bell rings. Anyway, uh, interesting to point out on Bloodshot, not only did they release Wanda Jackson's uh, follow-up to The Party Ain't Over, uh, which was an album called Unfinished Business in 2012, but they also seem to be the primary record label for Neko Case. Mm. Uh, so anybody out there, Nico Case fans, you would be familiar with this label. I like Nico Case a lot. A friend of the show, Alex Segura, is a big fan mm. of uh, of Nico Case. But uh, it also looks like they released a, uh, a record by Ryan Adams in 2000. So, so I would say smallish to largish. Yeah, that's not a that's not a super tiny label if they're putting out Nico Case and Ryan Adams, uh, albeit you know earlier releases. Just a quick word on Bloodshot, and they they release uh, a, a great deal of Andre Williams records as well. So yeah, good good fit for Two Star to be on there with them. So we've got the big three killed my baby. We know uh, Hotel Yorba was was on that set list from earlier. Dan says Two Star was a lot different to what was going on in Detroit. There were a lot of straight ahead garage bands there. 
We recorded some stuff in our basement, but never finished it. I'm very curious about that. Yeah. We had Hotel Yorba, now Mary, The Union Forever. We played Same Boy You've Always Known at the last show. Blanche songs like So Long Cruel World, Who's to Say, Garbage Picker. We also did Wayfaring Stranger. Oddly enough, when Jack auditioned for Cold Mountain, that was the song they requested he sing. <laughs> Which goes down in history as the technical first solo release by Jack White. Mm-hmm. So in ni- October 1998, the, the White Stripes begin to be billed first Ooh. before Two Star Tabernacle. They play, this, they play the same show uh, for Two Star in Toledo, Ohio, uh, but they're billed as the White Lines at the show in Toledo in October. What? Yeah, weird. Ben Blackwell says, it's probably one of my favorite shows of my life. There were probably 20 people there. I knew all the songs, and it was just that I couldn't get into the clubs to see them. Somehow I got to Jack's, and Jack drove to Toledo, Two Star played as well, and Dan and Tracy were always like, we could see the stripes getting really, really big. Jack always said, Two Star's the money band. Two Star's going to get really big. But the white stripes <laughs> were definitely where his heart was at. There's a tape wow. of the show, and you can hear people in the crowd talking. And after the white stripes played, a guy in the crowd says, I don't know what it was, but I sure like it. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. They're drawing crowds now with the white stripes. 1999, March 12th, they play uh, what would be. Where, their- wait, where did they go, James? Where, where was that show? They're built first in Toledo, Ohio. In where? Toledo. In in where? In Toledo. 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 Okay, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. March 12th, 1999, they would play their last show ever uh, at Paychecks Lounge in Hamtrank, Michigan. They, their set list included Rank Stranger, The Union Forever, Who's to Say... <laughs> playing the union forever then. the it's same so boy you've always known debuts here uh, what hey, uh jack white says beforehand hey here's a song that i wrote the other day oh my god hey here's a song that uh, i wrote the other day it's called the same boy you've always known There's a whole backing band to all these songs, too. That's the weird part. Zigzag Springs, Rootin' Tootin', Hotel Yorba, So Long Cruel World, Blanche Songs, Plain as Day.
Stranger. Uh, you said this was in March of 99? Yes, it was. So the White Stripes released their debut album June of 99. Mm-hmm. So this is... They must have been prepping it They're, or the White Stripes, close to prepping it. The White Stripes was beginning to take a hold of Jack's consciousness. Yeah. He was winding down with the go. Around this point, after this show in Hamtrank, Two Star Tabernacle decides to pull the plug. Two Star Tabernacle stopped in March 1999 because by that point, Jack was in three bands. The White Stripes... Two Star Tabernacle and The Go. The Go had gotten signed, and The White Stripes had been given money to record an album for Sympathy for the Record Industry. To quote Jack White, With Two Star, we kinda didn't know what we wanted to do. We were going 15 directions at once. I had just started The White Stripes, and we really didn't have a direction. Dan said, It had become a little bit excruciating. I knew I wanted to take this band in a certain direction. I didn't want everything as loud and fast. Jack was really excited to be playing in the White Stripes in the go. Being in three bands was too much. It ended well. Damien was playing drums for the Detroit Cobras simultaneously. So we should point out mm-hmm. that last episode we we read from a correspondence that we've been having with Bobby Harlow of the go, mm-hmm. who, who pointed out to us that, according to him, Jack referred to the go as like the first rock proper band that he was a member of, which I guess is sort of true because Two Star wasn't a rock band per se. They were a sort of a country-ish sort of blending of things, even though they were playing White Stripes songs. It's really more of a mixed styles kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know? It's it's hard to put my finger on what exactly, what style they are. It just, because like, like you were just saying, going in two different directions – their two leaders were going in two different directions, mm-hmm. you know? Dan's going in this one play, Jack's going in this other. So you get this weird mix, sort of a nice little cocktail, but it doesn't really, it's not pushing toward one goal like the White Stripes were or the Go were. So I guess that's kind of what Bobby was was saying that Jack's feeling was at the time where it felt like, hey, I am a member of a band, of a rock band, yeah, you know, as opposed to this, these two projects. I, I guess now that we're talking about it, Two Star feels like a project. Yeah. <laughs> and the White Stripes feel like a project, but the Go felt more, I guess, like a band, you know, or a group. Yeah, like there's they're experimenting, and Jack's it's Dan and Jack songwriting and having an outlet right. for that songwriting, and they're putting yeah. it into this band regardless of what it sounds like. There's you know with the Rack and Tours, we know that sometimes when Brandon would pitch a song they would go it's good but it's not a rack and tours song mm-hmm. yeah i think you explained that last episode uh yeah and, there was like a bunch <laughs> and yeah. and jack white vice versa you know he would pitch some songs and it would be a white stripes song and not a rack and tours song so or eventually a or eventually jack white solo yeah, song. boarding house reach yeah. song like, over and over <laughs> and over weirdly enough uh says miller we pulled the cord on two-star tabernacle when we did 
things were oddly starting to gel in a way. At the same time, <laughs> we knew it was really exactly right. Jack was writing unbelievable mm. songs. A bunch of songs we were doing in Two Star Tabernacle actually ended up on White Blood Cells. Some of those songs mm. and earlier songs he had written for Two Star Tabernacle were more punk, more aggressive, in a good way. In June 7th, 1999, Two Star Tabernacle appears in the Detroit Rock movie, which was a, a small, rare movie, if you can find it. God bless you. We have clips of it here. Okay. I've never, uh, I don't know if I've ever heard, heard of this. from there jack white would would continue on to build up the white stripes dan miller would join tracy and form the band blanche with jack lawrence and uh it's it's birthed two great bands right from there yeah yeah i'd love to know more about blanche we really gotta do a spotlight on blanche in a future episode these two stars yeah were the tabernacle to this yeah. wonderful music. Huh? Oh. Huh? Huh? So Goober and the Peas <laughs> would turn into Two Star Tabernacle. Two Star Tabernacle uh-huh. would turn into the White Stripes and Blanche. Uh, to our final quote would be from Ben Blackwell. Dan's always been around. In 1994, he and Jack created the earliest incarnation of Blanche. We did a five-song cassette, he recalls. All covers of songs by dead country stars and played at a senior citizen jamboree, and they didn't like us very well. (laughs) Oh, senior citizen jamboree. I love it. And that, Paul, is Two Star Tabernacle. Two years of craziness. Two years, two stars. I guess it's three years. They ended in 99. So three-ish years. Yeah. It's a great, and that if, anyone who doesn't have that vault package by them, you should pick it up. It's fabulous. Mm. I love it. And it, it was actually one of the first things I bought in preparation to do this podcast. Yeah. I bought that uh, that three live show uh, vault release so that I could learn a little bit more about where he came from. Because the, those early years are, uh, are still a little shrouded in some mystery, purely because we don't really have an anthology-style documentary or anything about him so and that's why we're here that's why we're here (laughs) to try and shed some light and now we've done the go and we've done two-star tabernacle and i feel like the painting is starting to get a little a little more clear yeah we got the we got the red we got the black all we need now is the white in the what in the red in the in toledo (laughs) paul let's say we get to our third person this week let's get to our third person this week like to welcome our third man for this week brian walter aka brian walter be nicer to me brian thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight so excited to be on the show tonight or this morning if you're listening to it in the morning <laughs> yeah well, that too yeah. yeah no it's fine now you get to weigh in on our nickname for you 
how how is it? Yeah, that Did was, we do good. That was interesting. I, I really enjoyed <laughs> the back and forth on that. Like I didn't know what was going to be. I think I, I'm I'm cool with it. I think <laughs> won't you be nicer to me? It's that's a great jam. I love that whole album. Yeah. So I think I think it's pretty solid. I think you'll get an A plus on that one. Oh, good. All right. Because or, or, or three men. But, it's definitely yeah. not our worst work because we have some. <laughs> We have some I, real I think Brendan no, 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 that's probably yeah that was pretty bad I would say it's that's you know teach their own good uh, so Brian we've got you on the show tonight we're gonna go through some listener questions but first we wanted yeah. to start off with well first of all thank you so much for being a listener to the show we really appreciate you interacting with us and, and listening to the show and all that stuff and it, it really does mean a lot to us so first of all I wanted to start by thanking you for doing that tell us a little bit about how you got into Jack what kind of album yeah. what's your sweet spot all that good stuff oh man so like jack white i would to be very candid with you i'd had an opportunity to see him with the stripes at the palace oh wow uh in louisville years ago and i turned down free tickets because at the time i thought jack white was a joke let me just go ahead and give that caveat let me give that caveat before i go in and up until about 2014 I'd never really been a blues fan. I never had had any interest in the slide guitar. I've never, I always loved rock, but I never really had any appreciation for that side. It was more of like psychedelic, indie, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when he came and played Forecastle in Louisville, that was a truly just game changing, life changing show for me. Uh, He, Seeing him live, the energy, the band, it was like he played perfectly into the crowd and the needs and wants of the environment he was in. It was it was amazing. And then, you know, listening to your all's podcast and learning, oh, that's because he listens to the key of the song before, or the crowd before <laughs> it comes out and tries to match that. Yeah. And his attitude and aggression, and at the end of it, this was Saturday at Forecastle, and there was still another day. Everybody's leaving, chanting, oh, 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 oh. But I, <laughs> But after that, it completely changed my guitar style. I bought Gretsch guitars, and I had an old, of course, I had the cliche, old airline for a minute, and uh, <laughs> and uh, started picking up the slide, Open G, Death Leviter, like live at Blackpool. That's, I think, one of his best live songs ever of all time. Yeah. But yeah, that was the moment. After 2014, seeing him live, that was just like, I'm wrong. I'm an idiot. I really messed up. <laughs> I would use another word there, but I'm trying to keep it PG. But yeah, it's uh, you owned an airline. I did for a hot minute. An old JB Hutto that had just the. Uh, I got it at a uh, estate sale. Mm. It was this old woman's son's, and she lived about two blocks away from me. And it was really just complete luck. I'd been at a friend's house and walking back, stopped and grabbed coffee, and they had the yard sale going on. And wow, I just kind of swung in and was like, "Wow, that's a." I'm not going to say it out loud. And I just grabbed it and gave her 300 bucks and yeah. walked away. Now it's worth like, I think I sold it for like 1200 Yeah, those cost a wow. pretty penny now They because of the Jack White connection yeah. specifically. Yeah, yeah but, and it had an amazing sound. And what really made it phenomenal was if you had an amp like a, a deluxe reverb or a twin reverb, something that you could really hit those like those bass notes and really feel that crunch of yeah. you know the reverberation and the plastic and the semi-hollow. I don't even know what you would call it, but it's a weird sound that I can't really describe. There's something about plastic and just those types of old guitars as well as old Japanese guitars mm-hmm. are just amazing. Uh, it teaches you to fight the music. <laughs> yeah, fight it. Well, and he, man, I, I'm still trying to do the only up picking that he does. You know, mm-hmm. he, he'll play like everything. If you watch any of his live, like Solomon Cincinnati and 
it was just all up picks the whole time, you know, and he's got a unique style. Hmm. Well, elaborate on that a little bit for other people who aren't as familiar with guitar jargon like that, because uh, yeah. I, I have a vague idea of what you're talking about myself, I, and and I play guitar, yeah. oddly enough, but uh, what, yeah. uh, t- tell us a little bit more about that, up-picking. Usually guitarists, a lot of, especially like punk and rock guitarists, really hit hard on the downstrokes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, up-picking is when you hit, you pull up stronger, and that's more of like a blues and almost reggae-esque style. Huh. And so what he does, and if you watch it, he's always going up, and he plays those really heavy picks. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, it gets a different arrangement. So if he mishits, he's pulling up relative to going down, if that makes sense. And yeah. you know how, you know, EA, DGBE, and relative to the direction you strum on that, it's really going to affect the tone of the chord. Wow. Or uh, note you're hitting. I guess that's symptomatic of the kind of stuff like the Willie McTell and all that stuff because yeah. that's kind of got that bouncy feel and especially if he's playing on not so great equipment like the airline or, or like that ancient like looking like it's ready to fall apart rickety Seven Nation Army. Sil- uh, yeah, Silver Tone. Yeah. I guess it's a combination of those things but it really affected his style which I, I think is why... I've been finding watching him play the Van Halen guitar and the and even the St. Vincent guitar and I'm like a huge St. Vincent fan but actually I love yeah I, I think it's been affecting his sound in ways that I don't know if I'm super thrilled about actually um I'm with you if I'm going to just lay it all out there I am not a huge fan of his new album I've given it many listens I just thrown it I mean I'm got a tremendous respect for him own it bought it you know but yeah it's not not one of my favorites and then seeing him like his uh gig gear and i i hate his guitar setup mm. i i just i miss he had this like aura about him and I, I don't know if he's going to i don't want to say he phoned it in because i feel like he was putting forth an effort but and i know it's not a popular opinion but yeah. I, I think he had this only analog only raw one or two takes this yeah beauty and sanity and simplicity of that he had in the stripes and that he had as a, as a solo artist that mm-hmm. I just don't feel that sensibility anymore with this album. It doesn't feel as emotional and it sounds very cold and calculated. Well, it, it sounds like something Jack White would do to literally phone in an album, like telephone it on a, <laughs> yeah. some kind of a yeah. receiver. Um I was pumped when it was coming out too, because yeah. you heard about him locking himself in a studio or yeah. an apartment in Nashville. Like that's that's such a cool origin story for an album. But yeah. I just at, at the end of the day, I was like, man, you had you did a great job. You got me really excited, and then just kind of yeah, just disappointed. I would say blue balls, but I, I want to make that reference to the cover, you know. But you know, like blue it, balls, yeah, yeah. Bl- blue blood balls. Um, but it's I mean, you're not alone. Yeah, a great number of people agree with you, and Jack White seems to be reveling in that. I think in a recent interview, he said like people don't argue about albums like this anymore, so he's happy that there's you know some people yeah, who have yeah. your who share your opinion. Yeah. So, and I think that there's some dribs and drabs in there recently. Like I've been pointing to those Spotify sessions a lot lately, but mm-hmm. it's the only over and over and over I like. Mm-hmm. out there which is the one from the spotify sessions because it's sort of stripped down and yeah 
hearing him do like some newer blues songs and some of these drips and drabs from the promotional tour has actually got me re-excited about the potential of what this gear can do because I think he might be feeling his way through it a little bit but yeah it's feeling a little on the cold side at least in his playing and I, I think it's just from the ease of use and especially hearing you talk about upstroke and how that can affect style and stuff well if he's suddenly using this gear that's really really simple and soft that it'll affect the sound this is going to sound bad but it reminded me of when I saw Foster the People at Hangout and it was this guy was just singing completely out of tune but the auto tune or whatever would find the pieces of his and put right. it in the right place yeah right, right, right. that's how i feel about this album eh. i just don't believe it i don't believe it does that make sense I, yeah. yeah i mean the guitar is doing a lot more work than it used to jack white used to be the one doing the work and forcing the guitar to yeah. bend to his whims and now you know it's kind of become he's using it as a newfangled tool like i don't know he's he's going he's having the guitar pick up most of the slack i would say that might normally come up in a live Mm -hmm. set uh so so the solo stuff got you in and enjoying the back catalog type material that's a great place to join that's why i feel like where a lot of people joined and not every jack project actually is always suited for everybody i and our buddy mike can't stand the dead weather Mm -hmm. i've learned to like the dead weather a lot more than i did when they first came out but i do appreciate the stylistic differences and uh, oh yeah and I think there's room for it all in the canon, which is what kind of makes it sort of interesting. Louisville, where the Dead Weather kicked off their live performances. Yeah. Before I was a Jack White fan, I was a huge Kills fan. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. And I never made that bridge to the Dead Weather. I just, I, Jamie Hintz is still to this day the biggest influence on me, like as a style of like guitarist. And oh, yeah. It, yeah. And I didn't know his his blues beginnings either. Let's get into some listener questions here, guys, because we got a few to get through tonight. And I want to make sure we kind of get to all these. And some of them are opinions. Some of them are uh, fact-based. And we'll just try and get in here and tackle them all. But we're going to start here with Robbie Gray, who asked, Do you know if Jack White plans to release a live album? He's referring to the Boarding House Reach tour. The answer is, do we know... I think no, because there hasn't been any release about that. But I think it's safe to assume that we're at least going to get a vault release. And I wouldn't be surprised if we got a release proper of a Jack White live album or something like that under Great White Northern Lights-ish outside of the vault, to be honest. But uh, guys, thoughts, opinions? I read somewhere, maybe it was your show, maybe it was both, that he actually records every show he plays. So Yeah, he does. Yeah. Heaven knows he has plenty of material in that vault. Mm-hmm. You know, I would love to hear him just released, kind of like what he did with Under the Great White Northern Lights, kind of took the best of. Yeah. You know, all the Canada shows. I would love to hear him do that with this tour, especially for me, because I think it'd be a challenge, because I don't think this album currently out translates well to live mm-hmm. shows but we can come back to that um, <laughs> I think he will I think it'll be in the vault I will quote him from this very episode two star tabernacles where the money's at so and I think we can all agree on that <laughs> of course so uh, that's yeah funny. So we have uh, another question here. This one from Leland Fingstag. Leland sent in a lot of questions. We were really grateful to Leland. Thank you. We have, who is the next big name artist that Jack should collaborate with, either as producer or an artist? We'll start with you, Brian. Any uh, wish list stuff? I got one. I would love to see him collaborate with Peter Hook. Do you all know who that is? I do no, not, definitely. but please elaborate. He's the bassist from uh, Joy Division and New Order. Mm. Oh, okay. And uh, so I would love, especially with this new album, he went electronic, he did some weird things. Like, let's bring in, you know, one of the primary artists that, you know, brought 
uh, punk into you know dance ears and you know yeah. songs like Blue Monday and Love Will Tear Us Apart. <laughs> cool to hear some collaboration there maybe throw like a real like roll the eight ball and have someone crazy like josh homie or however you pronounce his last name produce it i think I it's home hom cool. hom i'm gonna go with hom, hom. so i don't really know hom, it's, it's so i actually looked this up in europe it is home home oh. home have you said okay and then here it's homie Oh. Um, yeah, I had to look it up because it was we. I got in one of those, you know, we're drinking at the bar, and you know, <laughs> so it was in one of those. Me and my buddy, or you know, Stone yeah. Queens and Stone Age fans, are like, it's home, it's Hami, and then it was both. So I think we both had to buy each other. Yeah, beer. Wikipedia's saying Hami, <laughs> Hami. Yeah, yeah. I'll I, send you. I'll send you the link to the video. Sure. I guess it's fair to say you're both looking for a Hami, uh, James. Any uh, collaboration? <laughs> Yeah, having just taken a deep dive into Queens of the Stone Age's new album, Villains, which is amazing. Great album, yeah. Uh, that would be a really cool thing to see is a, a Josh Hami album. Um, but uh, you know what I would really enjoy seeing, and this is purely a wish list thing, and it's, again, because I've taken a deep dive into Andre Williams, is seeing an Andre Williams record produced by Jack White Ooh, yeah. and Third Man... Because Andre's getting a little bit older, he's sober now, and he is back into the singing game. He's still working with all the Detroit regulars, and I guess the Bloodshot Records regulars as well, like Dan Croa. And I would love to see Andre Williams' collaboration with Jack again. After Two Star Tabernacle, they haven't crossed paths, so I'm in it to win it. Look, it's fresh in my head. It's what I want to see. 2016 was his last record, as far as I can tell, so... That would be cool. That would be cool. I mentioned it earlier in the call. My latest obsession this past year has been St. Vincent. I just, mm. I, I'm experiencing yeah. in the St. Vincent fandom what got me so excited about Jack White fandom to start. And honestly, her record, Mass Seduction, from last October was exactly what I wanted out of yeah. her musically. And so it's been one of those things where I've been feeling personally like, man, she's kind of make, making Jack look bad because... <laughs> As a fan of hers, she's doing exactly what I want, and the music's progressing at the same time. Whereas with yep. Jax, it was like, okay, I liked the album, but I wasn't in love with it, and it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. So anyway, two rock gods dueling on one record would be just fantastic.
think they'd play the same guitar? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I would hope not. Actually, I would. I would love for them to sort of be that counterpoint to the other one. Uh, and I think it. I mean, they're similar enough in age, and they've been around. Jack's been around a little bit longer, maybe about eight years longer. So he's been in it a little bit longer. But they're both not newbies, and I think they could make some great music together. So that would be my top pick. I think would be her. I'd also like to hear Jack produce Olivia again. Honestly, I know Olivia mm. Jean isn't everybody's favorite. Yeah. But I take a sequel to Bathtub Love Killings. I'd love to hear what that sounds like. I saw her when she came to Louisville last, like a month ago. She was phenomenal. Yeah, she's great. Be nice to hear Jack and Margo do some stuff together. That would be cool. That, and that, I mean, I think Margo Price is an example of Jack White sticking by and doing with what he wants, no matter how other people, you know, feel about it. You know, like he yes. took a gamble on it, and that. I mean, Midwest Farmer's Daughter, I think, is one of the greatest country albums in the past 10 years, I'd argue. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. He re-released The Monks, and I was like, what? You know, <laughs> I was in Third Man, I was like, all right, <laughs> these guys got some cool haircuts, you know, well, let's take that out. <laughs> Yeah, they're, so, yeah. Jack's bidding with the monks, I guess. He's just bidding on a lot of different things in auctions and getting a lot of rights to a lot of stuff. That's too cool. So that's a few there. Let's move on here to uh, Kate McCoy, who asks, best show and worst show you've had and why? Now, I know we had talked a little bit before the call about this, Brian, but uh, maybe we do one Jack show and one show that's not yeah. Jack related. So what is your best and worst concert experiences? I I would say uh, I I honestly did not enjoy him in Cincinnati at Bunbury. Oh, I, didn't, well. I did not enjoy. Yeah. So I'll, I will say that that was not. I mean, I, it wasn't horrible. It just yeah wasn't as good as as the first time. As, yeah. as you know, maybe it's maybe it's you know like that. It's it's like a weird drug. Maybe it'll never be as good as that first time chasing that but, dragon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it was. Uh, yeah. It, it, um, but for me, as as an artist, I I'll never. My work. My worst show is I played at this blues bar in town called Stevie Ray's. I'd never been there before. So we set up and we start playing. And next thing you know, like just random artists start getting on stage, plugging in guitars and amps, and they just start shredding. And it's like every single guy that's you know. I mean, there was a guy that could barely even walk, got up there and started playing some slide guitar that was like, how are you doing this right now? And so I ended up just putting down my guitar. And actually, it was probably one of the best shows, too, because I got to hear some amazing musicians and uh, yeah. jam with them. So, But it was just one of those weird, like, uh, what what do I do now? There's five other guys on the stage now, and they're just kind of all going every which way. <laughs> and then I don't know if I have a worse, worse, like, just flat out worst show i think everyone that makes an effort to get on stage i guess that's really what it's about is making yeah. an effort you know while you're up there and i've seen some bands that have given it 100 percent, and they were not you know the best band ever but they you know they tried which i think is cool yeah just sure. putting yourself out there i think is pretty awesome absolutely it's a brave step and even if you're transparently nervous the fact that you got out there is the important thing mm -hmm. um, oh yeah james what do you got for worst show jack related hmm performance wise probably the warsaw he was really rusty okay. but uh that live nation show yeah it yeah he wasn't completely in it yet and uh yeah. i feel like he was still shaking off the dirt but still an amazing concert experience so it wasn't like my worst concert i really enjoyed the concert but performance wise mm. i thought he was a little lacking the worst non-jack related show or worst <laughs> i mean i've had plenty of jack related experiences that were not good i mean there was a kid that threw up right next to me at a oh, dead yeah. weather concert so that was a thing and yeah, he got way too well, high way too fast yeah and way too drunk on top of being way too high way too fast right it's one of those 
spins moments. Yeah. yeah. And he yeah. was like 14 and was just... Was it? Did he throw up 16 saltine? <laughs> <laughs> well, we sure know it lingered. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. We're going to end this. I'll, I'll... That was at the Dead Weather show, right? <laughs> it was Dead Weather. Yeah. That was oh, on the tour. Yeah. Oh, I like I liked Warhound. I thought it was a pretty good album. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But worst concert experience... It was probably, I agreed to see a Polyphonic Spree concert not knowing who the hell they were, and oh, boy, wow. boy, howdy. She went in completely blind? Yeah, and I saw 20 <laughs> people get on stage in, in white robes, and I was just like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I'm here for. Yeah, yeah. do you Which think is, someone's going to get sacrificed at any point? Like, well, yeah. well, I don't want to say I joined a religion or a cult, but look, I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing robes right now. I don't know if you can see them under my normie, normie clothes, as I like to call them, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, that wasn't my favorite style of music at the time. I probably would like them more now than I did then, but boy, howdy. They came on stage, and I had just gotten off a high of seeing the Red Walls open for them, and I liked the Red Walls, and they came on, and I was like, this sucks, and I left. Um, So, not my best. How about two favorites? One Jack-related, one non-Jack-related. A Jack-related, I really, really enjoyed... Oh, God. Um... I really enjoyed Margot Price. I'll tell you that much. Every time I've seen her, it's been mm-hmm. great. A, uh, yeah, she's she's killer. I'm gonna just put two Jack related shows. The last one I saw, Brewery Amagong, was spectacular. Oh, Jack related, and really really enjoyed everything about it. The opener, everything is rare that I find that mix, and also being with Ariel, who was who was excited to see him and the concert, having concert buddies. You know, it was fun. Yeah, so that was good. Yeah. And also the show at Radio City, the show might not have been the best. He may have rushed through some of the songs, but I was real drunk and real happy. And <laughs> experience-wise... on cloud nine. Yeah, experience-wise, I was just in the zone, and there's very few times I'm in the zone. Yeah. And then seeing the White Stripes with Paul for the first time, that was, that was something else. So, anyway, there's That's a lot. Cool. It's a good list. I think Jack-related, I, I mean... There's so many great ones. That first Rax show from the Broken Boy Soldiers tour where Mike and I were front row and seeing him live for the first time with the Rackin tours and that was pretty remarkable. But I also had an amazing time at um in Baltimore. What was it what was the Merryweather Post Pavilion? Merryweather Post Pavilion on the Lazaretto tour. I had a just a fantastic time at that one and and yeah, I'm gonna second the Margot stuff because when I saw Margot at the Troubadour. That was just incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I don't know if I have a least favorite Jack show. Uh, might yeah, dude, it might be it might be the Mayan on Boarding House Reach. I I was so close and I had wanted it for so long. I wanted to see him live for so long and I was ridiculously close. But for some reason it was a combination of me being physically tired, me not being super enthusiastic about the new material and me having learned a lot about how the sausage is made so some of the mystery was gone and it left me kind of like um just perplexed i was just sort of like i was butthurt after his show for lack of a better you know i was just you know like it was just there was for me it was and listening to the podcast and following him and researching you know he had two bands on was it La- the the Blunderbuster? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and then in uh, Lazaretto, he had one, and then, but he was so off the cuff and shooting from the hip. It all made sense. And this scene planned out, 
and it may, be, may have been the mix. I think the synth player was way too loud and just mm. didn't have the funk that, uh, what was his name? Um, Ike. I, yeah. Did not have the same, I think, like funk and style and swagger. Yeah. That I, yeah, yeah. And that's that's disappointing. You know, I think my worry is, you know, I just karmically, I don't want to appear ungrateful. I really like that we yeah. have the new record and all that stuff. And I was I really wanted to enjoy it, I think, more than I did. And and that's uh, that actually left me feeling bad. I felt like I did something wrong. Um, but that's that's a question for a therapist to sort out later, I suppose. But um, and you can't blame yourself for being just honest. Well, I disagree with both of you. You're both wrong. I really like <laughs> favorite non Jack concerts. Uh, there's been a lot. I think the first time I saw not to bring her up again, but the first time I saw Saint Vincent live was an eye opener because I went in not knowing her material all that well. And I walked out going, oh, somebody's a space god from beyond the stars, my god. Uh, so that was really, really good. And then uh, I saw McCartney pretty close up in 2004 at the Garden, and um, Dad and I stuck up close to the stage and stuff, and that was the closest I'd ever been to a Beatle, so that was wow. pretty neat. Yeah. Um, nice. Oasis, I have a great memory of seeing them in 94, but uh, what? But I the He's... bigger memory I have is of Liam vomiting on the stage <laughs> and them not sounding very good. Uh, that's but rock and roll, baby. That's I guess. I, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's alcoholism. That's yeah, yeah. Lots of good uh, selections there. We I think we have time for one more here. Actually, we're running a little over, but we have Zoe Alexander uh, says, "Hey, fellas, I got a listener question for you. The next time you do one of those shows." Vault packages. Do you guys display all the special posters and prints that get included? Have you got like a third man shrine or a room dedicated to displaying all the collector stuff? Guys, what do you do with uh, with some of the collectibles? Whenever I get any of his stuff, I keep I try to keep it all in one spot. I have a box of it in my basement, and then I have if it came with a vinyl, I keep it all in the vinyl, organized and away from my vinyl that's in like public. You know, I've got, you know, record players in different spots. So that's the the records that stay up in my room. And plus, my wife's not a big Jack White fan. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get it in my can. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah, it makes it hard. Zoe, you can see pictures. I'll send Paul a picture. My shrine has been limited to a shelf via a decree from my wife. Not that we're trying to blame them for that, but... Uh, oh, no, never, no. Yeah, my... Amazing <laughs> My obsession has been limited to a shelf, but that's okay. I try to display whatever the newest vault is at the time. So my shelf currently has the Boarding House Reach stuff on it, the 45 and all that stuff. But yeah, it cycles in rotation. There's not much room to really display it. I mean, the room has jack white things scattered throughout it yeah i still have the pennant that came with vault 33 hanging up that's like on permanent nice. display yeah i've got assorted jack white things just everywhere my wife is also a jack white fan so that helps that's awesome yeah so it's displayed it's out there but like the posters i'm not gonna frame all the xeroxed photographs that they send me yeah they're cool if i get them signed i'll frame them i have like Lily May signatures and stuff framed. Thank you, Paul. And nice. uh, I like, I like that story. That was a- assorted, <laughs> uh, assorted other things that are that are framed and uh, and to be hung. But yeah, what am I gonna do with a picture of Jack from 1990? Whatever. Like, yeah, I I have it in books. I have it all that. It's fine. The internet exists. I think you and I are similar in that regard. I have I've 
have it mostly relegated to a shelf, which I, I cycle uh, whenever new stuff comes in. And the shelf got downsized recently because we're expecting a baby. And so uh, all of my stuff and Susanna's stuff is getting smaller as we make room for new... Congratulations. I, thank you very much. New life form. But uh, I tell you what is I... That gonna, is that we're going to name it as life form? Yeah, life form. Yeah, this is the new precious life form. Where are you? That's outstanding, though. Congratulations, all the best. Thank you very much. What I will say is this: I have lots of room for posters and stuff at work. Mm. So I've been pillaging the McCartney archive releases because they're similar to the vaults in that they give you a lot of little trinkets and such. Yeah. And the same thing with the Sgt. Pepper box. So I was able to put up a Sgt. Pepper poster and a Wings 76 tour poster. And I would love it if Jack had one of those and one of these yeah. friggin' vaults because none of them are like poster size. Yeah. The ones that are in there are kind of weird and nsfw you know like it's not sort of like the thing mm. i'm trying to put up in the office oh, so uh that is what i would like because i actually randomly have room to put up a white stripes poster or something and i simply don't have one from these vaults but i am working on getting the uh we are going to be friends book with the autograph framed because I, ha- oh. I had him sign it on the front so that i could display it properly and he did look at me like i was crazy when i asked him to sign it no no no, do it on the front i will say the only picture i have of my wife and i at work is the one i took in the uh picture booth at third man records in Nashville. Ooh. oh that's cool yeah. me and paul have yet to visit either one of the record stores we plan on it making a pilgrimage at some point but uh, our, our entire extended family seems to have gotten there before us. <laughs> our parents both yeah. visited with dog. Like, they took their dog, dog in, in hand. because they were oh, wow. escaping the uh, hurricane at the time, and they just had their dog. And because they had their dog, they gave them the elusive Third Man Records employee-only pen, which you can <laughs> not purchase uh yeah that's awesome but i have yet to go to the damn store i was really happy it was a pin i was worried it was going to take a weird turn there like he got the third man branding or something some crazy treatment the dog now has a record deal and left my parents house and it's a great dog man i would buy that record sadly that's going to be our last question here we're running a little bit over but brian thank you again for joining us you've talked a little bit about your own music tonight is there any place people can find your stuff on online if they want to check out your music we can we can plug provide some links to what you got there's a couple places to be honest with you i don't think i've loaded anything for a while actually the last thing i made i recorded in three days at a buddy of mine's home studio and and uh nice took it took a copy of it when i went to nashville and dropped it off at jack white's house (laughs) nice (laughs) yeah his house is pretty dope by the way it was pretty cool I will say that much. I was in a band called The Cannons for a while, and then I've just played different gigs, you know, contract killer, you know, around town with Mm -hmm. somebody needs a rhythm guitarist. But yeah, so I guess The Cannons. And then if you're uh, a country music fan, I would, and you're into some Margot Price, old school style country, a good friend of mine, a guy that actually taught me 99% of what I know on the guitar, is a guy named Tyler Lance Walker Gill.
check him out. Yeah. He's cool. got some honky tonk country and a cover of Ace the Spades that will blow your mind. Nice. Nice. Much. Yeah, it is it is one of those songs. And he recorded it at I would say the best studio in town here in Louisville. I don't know if anybody's familiar with my morning jacket, but that's where they yeah. always go. It's called La La Land and I would highly recommend you check it out. It's a great record, very heartfelt, a lot of effort. And it took him to hear him go from a rock guitarist to country and being a part of that writing experience with him, I think could be something you all enjoy. Awesome. I know for Fantastic. me, it brought me to tears. So it's there's some good pieces out. Hasn't came out yet. He's still, I don't know what he's waiting on. He really wants to be on third man records really, really <laughs> bad. I know that's his dream, but he's shopping it right now, and I think he's getting ready to put it out. But I'll keep you all in the loop on that one. Yeah, that's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, everybody check that stuff out. And thank you again, Brian. And uh, yeah, we hope to talk to you again soon. Cheers. Oh, definitely. This has been great. Thank you for what you do. It's awesome. I really look forward to it every every other week. Well, thank you for listening. Yeah, well, we say every week also by accident every time. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I had to catch it. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much for being a listener. And won't you be nicer to me? That's <laughs> what I have to say. Bada boom. Hey, that's what I do here, eh? That's what I do with Johnny Liberty. Yeah. He's my kid. Hey, He's my son. Johnny. He's my son. He's my child. I love him. <laughs> He's a pigeon. He's great. All right. Well, uh, let's get back to the show, James. Well, James, that was wonderful. I learned a lot, and we're going to get to some shout-outs here. What do you say? Let's shout them out, Paul. Yeah, so we are going shout to... Shout it! Shout it! Shout it out loud! Joe Lalich would be very happy, James. He's a big kiss nut. <laughs> oh, he's a kisser. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a kisser. I, kiss nut actually sounds disgusting. Well, we love all the kiss nuts out there. We have a uh, we have people who have been interacting with us on social media. A lot of you, which has been really nice. Uh, we've got some new people here. We've got Robbie Gray. We've got Nestora Gr or Grr. Mm. We've got Callie Joe Smith. Another Callie. We, we'll have to make them fight to the death. We have Gene Manning. Anna Brightside Benson. Hmm. No relation, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. Don't know. It might be. I'm here to tell you it's not. Okay, we have Mary Rod. We have Yelitna Rio Rice. We have Lucas Ravenga Tauma. We have Inez Sanchez. Kelly Harden. Audrey Hutchins. We have Kelly O'Donnell. Uh, Laura Cobain Simonic. Mm. Paula Ornott. Ornott. Kieran Locke. Thank you, everyone who has been interacting with us on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. Thank you very much. It's appreciated. Yeah, and other people who are doing that day in, day out, we'd also like to thank those folks as well, such as Kate McCoy, the Bones of the Operation, Andre Ice Cold Lyman, Ben, the Beer Man Blues Carnes, Jeremy Riles keeping us on those rails. My, oh me, it's me, oh my. Eileen Corsano, I see you over there. Next to Callie Durga, our third person spirit, every week. And it's Red Red Raining over here with the Red Red Rain Prosper. <laughs> Amy Hart, the heart of the operation, laughing at LOL 2.0. <laughs> and there's Eric Andrew <laughs> Dotson over there, along with Mr. David Poe. He's right next to S.A. Franco. He doesn't know what it means. I don't know what it means. I do. You know what it means? 
We should just ask them. We should probably just ask them, much like something Yvette Wilkins would do, because she's Wilkin on Sunshine. She's okay with asking what it means. Sure. Anyway, Mm -hmm. we'd also like to thank Brian Walter, Be Nicer to Me, and Brendan Smith. And who's got the right opinion? I don't know. There's no right opinion. We'd also like to thank No Right Opinion on Twitter. Thank you very much. As well as the Brett Three Killed Magarski. I'm putting on like a weird uh, Andre Williams. Sure, why not? And Paul, where can these people find us and interact with us? Oh, oh. if you yeah, if you'd like to interact with us online, you can go to facebook.com slash thirdmen. You can go to Twitter at thirdmencast, Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can also visit us on our WordPress page. That's where we keep all the shows and handy links and such. That is thethirdmen.wordpress.com. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send it to thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, of course, we host the show on Pippa. That is the wonderful hosting service that we use who uh, has given us a lot of great access to different podcatchers and wonderful analytics. And people at Pippa are just wonderful. So if you're thinking about a podcast out there, pip on down to Pippa. Yeah, check out Pippa. It's, we've, no, Paul, pip on down. Okay. We've used three different platforms for hosting this show so far. And Pippa is by far the best, by far and away the best. And their on- online support is, I would say, almost 24-7. Not quite, but, like, they get back to you pretty darn quick. It's like 23-6. Yes. <laughs> if, you're, if you're panicked, they'll talk to you. So Unless it's um, on the seventh day when they rest. Yeah, Pippa's great. So anyway, search The Third Men on YouTube where James uh, posts some fun animations. And we actually also have a couple of episodes on there i think some older ones so you can check that out mm-hmm. on youtube up to 13 i believe and then yeah. please rate review and subscribe on itunes helps us a lot and you can also send us a listener question we we read some tonight sure so if you send us a question we will answer it on the show yeah no holds barred i mean hold some bars no. please hold bars yeah hold the bar hold the bars and we'd also like to thank sam Kubert and tom valenti for the help with our theme song sam who just got married. So I was just at his wedding and it was lovely. So congratulations to Sam. Mazel tov, Sam, as well as Susanna Roundtree, who did the wonderful intro and She's outro of our too. program. Paul, I think that, that means it's the end of the show. And as always, I will be finding... Well, uh, well, well, folks at home, it's very possible that after this we will be taking a little bit of a season break. We will have uh, shows up. They will be best of episodes. But we uh, we are taking a little bit of a break because um, my uh, family is getting a little bigger. James, you're out. There's a baby on the way. I promise you, though, after that, we're going to have some really cool stuff. Just to tease some year three stuff, James, mm. we've been talking to many different people about interviews, and we've got a couple of really cool ones on Indeed, the way. We do. Yes. There, there's one that's like, this seems too good to be true. I don't know if it's happening. Mm. And then there's another one that's like, this seems too good to be true, but I think it's happening. Mm. And then there's like another one that's just like, whoa, I didn't think that person would want to talk to us. So there's like a couple in the mix here that are just going to be awesome. So, hey, stick with us. People who have listened to every episode, great. These best of episodes are really good jumping on points for people. Uh, Last year when we did this, we just got a, a tremendous response from the best of shows. So uh, now's a great time to recommend a friend to listen. So do that. And yeah. uh, we love you all. It's, it's going on two years now, and we're thrilled. 
yeah enjoy the next season as it were i guess it would be i mean it's I a little early a for a new season it, yeah. but sure we'll go with that and um i guess uh, what we're not doing is we're not going to add another week between episodes so no. <laughs> the last time we went on a break we came back and it was every two weeks we're still doing the every every other week so yeah. no need to fear. Yeah, and we probably have another 10 to 14 years before Paul's newest addition to his family is old enough to usurp me as a podcast host, which I know is the whole yeah, plan. that is the whole plan. He wanted to get rid of me so badly that he had a child uh-huh. to get a new host. <laughs> well, James, with that said. Until next episode. I will be looking for a home in a stork's nest mm. because... I don't know about biology. Oh, yeah. No, birds have human babies. I will be looking for <laughs> a home in in a new band that I'm forming with some old friends because I'm getting kicked off of this podcast. Well, maybe. Jury's still out. Wait, not, the science isn't in yet. The stork, the stork isn't in yet. The stork hasn't delivered the jury. Yeah, the stork hasn't delivered the jury yet. See you next time, folks. <laughs> For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Any stories? I feel, I feel like we got a story. <laughs> I think we might have. Oh, ye- oh. Oh, my. Oh, yes. Mm. Oh, no. <laughs>